Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. Isn't it wonderful to be back together? It's a thrill to worship God with you face to face. The truth is we live in a difficult time. When you drove away from the office yesterday, you probably left colleagues behind who feel isolated and cut off from others. When you pulled out of the driveway on your way here this morning, there were probably people and houses, maybe very nice houses near yours, who feel like they're all alone in the world. You may have slipped into the pew this morning and sat beside somebody without even knowing it, who feels broken, has blown it, and doesn't have any place to turn to feel connected. The truth is, we're fractured. Now, COVID has a lot to do with that. It fractured our world into millions, hundreds of millions, little pods all over the world of people feeling alone. So it had a lot to do with it. But by far, it is not the only thing. There are many other realities that separate us. We're different from other people. We feel different. We feel like we've never been invited into a circle of trust. Or we feel like we've messed up, we've blown it, and we really don't deserve to be with good people. When I was in the fifth grade, our family moved back to Texas from Latin America for a couple of years. It was in the fall of the year and school was starting, and in Texas in the fall, football is king. And so when we had recess time, everybody raced out to the recess grounds, and the boys all began to play football. Well, I had played a little bit of backyard catch with my dad and my brother, but I had never played anything organized. And so what I saw unfolding before me was chaotic. I would later in life come to understand the reason George Will said football com- combines the two worst aspects of American life, violence and committee meetings. <laughs> and so I watched these guys gather in committee meetings, and then they'd go out and face each other, and there was mayhem for a few seconds, and they were back to the committee meeting and didn't know what was going on. I didn't get chosen. But then came P.E. time. And at P.E. time, everybody had to play, no option. So even I had to be on a team. So sure enough, they chose me on a team, and I'm sure the captain chose me with great reluctance. His name was, well, I'll call him Steve, (laughs) since that was his name. Um, Steve was a jock. He was in control. He ran everything, and everybody knew it. He was our quarterback. In the huddle, he would tell us what to do, and I wasn't part of it until the moment one day when he said, okay, Roberts, you're my halfback. I'm going to get the ball, I'm going to hand it to you. And then you follow me around the end. You got that? I think so. (laughs) And don't drop it. I really wish he hadn't said that, because then maybe I wouldn't have been thinking that as much. 
We got up to the line. He called the signals. The ball was high. He handed it to me. I dropped it. The play was over. It went like clockwork, just straight through. And then he stood there and yelled at me. What is wrong with you? I put it right in your breadbasket. Can't you hold on to anything? We had come back from other countries to a world where I felt very isolated already. But as a fifth grader, I can remember being on that field and feeling like I was on an island all by myself. And it was painful. There are a lot of people around us. There are people among us who feel that. So we go back to Project 242, Acts, the second chapter, beginning with verse 42. Last week, Pastor Miguel began us in a powerful way, talking about the necessity, the essential reality that if we are to be a healthy body, there must be conversation. And, and his live-out challenge was talk to somebody, listen to them, take, take notes of what you learned, send it into us. Many of you responded. Very simple to do. Website, live-out challenge, let us know because we have another live-out challenge for you today. So we go to Acts, the second chapter. Acts chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 42. But before we read, let me ask you to watch for something. Watch in this rather short paragraph for the references to eating, to the table. There are three of them. So let's read Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Verse 42, the breaking of bread. Verse 46, they broke bread together in homes. Verse 46, ate together with glad and sincere heart. There was a lot of eating going on in the early church, just in case you were wondering. Because it's not just here in Acts. Dr. Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke. That's why you'll hear scholars often refer to Luke-Acts because the same writer wrote them both. So with that in mind, listen to these words taken from New Testament, a New Testament scholar named Grant Osborne. Brief, brief statement, but it's worth noting. He says, an amazing number of scenes in the Gospel of Luke were over meals. And this continued in the early church. Meals provided the core theme of fellowship, then spread to include every area of life. How do I summarize that? The table was central to the early church. Why was it so important? Was it just that they were hungry? Certainly that could be part of it. But it was important for another reason, another brief one-line quote from a different New Testament scholar, Craig Keener, who says, table fellowship denoted intimacy and 
trust. Table fellowship denoted intimacy and trust. So they gathered around the table to eat. In fact, scholars, as they look at this paragraph in Acts, say certainly the wording in the original speaks of just eating a meal, probably a common meal, but it speaks to more than that. It probably was a context and a situation where they sat down, they ate the meal together, and then at the end of the meal, they participated in the Lord's Supper so that you had both things unfolding. Now, if you've spent any time in Acts, you may have wondered, how in the world did this small cadre of untrained, unlearned disciples make such a difference that one of their foes would later say, you've turned the world upside down? How did they do that? Well, obviously, they did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is preeminent and first. But the Holy Spirit used certain mechanisms to accomplish that. The table was a key mechanism. I want to read a quote to you. It's a, it's a, it'll take us a couple of moments. It's not short. It's one that this week when I was rereading it, having shared it in other situations, I thought, you know, we probably ought to read this at least at once a year, or at least at every communion service. It's from the pen of Max Lucado, the writer and preacher. And he's talking about the central reality of the table in the early church. As I read, notice the similarities the early church faced to the world of our day, and notice how they overcame those. So here are Lucado's words. Long before the church had pulpits and baptistries, she had kitchens and dinner tables. Even a casual reading of the New Testament unveils the house as the primary tool of the church. The primary gathering place of the church was the home. Consider the genius of God's plan. The first generation of Christians was a tinderbox of contrasting cultures and backgrounds. At least 15 different nationalities heard Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Jews stood next to Gentiles. Men worshiped with women. Slaves and masters alike sought after Christ. Can people of such varied backgrounds and cultures get along with each other? We wonder the same thing today. Can Hispanics live in peace with Anglos? Can Democrats find common ground with Republicans? Can a Christian family carry on a civil friendship with a Muslim couple down the street? Can divergent people get along? The early church did. Without the aid of sanctuaries, church buildings, clergy, or seminaries, they did so through the clearest of messages, the cross, and the simplest of tools, the home. Not everyone can serve in a foreign land, lead a relief effort, or volunteer to downtown soup, at the downtown soup kitchen. But who can't be hospitable? Do you have a front door, a table, chairs? Red meat for sandwiches? Congratulations. You just qualified to serve in the most ancient of ministries, hospitality. Something holy happens around the dinner table that can never happen in, the, in a sanctuary. In a church auditorium, you see the backs of heads. Around the table, you see the expressions on faces. In the auditorium, one person speaks. Around the table, everyone has a voice. Church services are on the clock. Around the table, there is time to talk. Hospitality opens the door to uncommon community. 
It's no accident that hospital and hospitality come from the same Latin word for they both lead to the same result, healing. When you open your door to someone, you are sending this message. You matter to me and to God. You may think you are saying, come over for a visit, but what your guest hears is your worth the effort. Hospitality, the table. You see, when we come to the supper table of the Lord, our focus is typically and correctly on the vertical nature of what happens at this table, the symbolism it has for saying that God bridged the gulf between God's self and humanity to bring us together into one, to reconcile us. That's what we remember here at the table. But what we too easily overlook is there's not just a vertical nature, there's a horizontal nature. It brings us together as sister and brother in Christ. It connects us. The table. It's what the early church did. They broke bread. They ate together. Now, I'll tell you very frankly, as I've thought about this, as I've worked on this this week, as I've prayed on this this week, thinking about the live-out challenge, it is cut directly across the grain of my heart because I don't do this easily. My wife will tell my, my wife would just say, y'all come on over for lunch, and you'd all show up. And I'd be at home thinking, what, 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 what did you do? <laughs> you invited all of them? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, <laughs> this nice couple right over here, my colleague, the church business administrator, Tim Rossen, and his wife, and their family. We were hanging out one evening, hanging out, having a good time. Must have been a Saturday night. I don't remember. At a restaurant. Having, and as, as it came time to leave, my wife says to them and to everyone else who's there, y'all come on over. We'll, we'll, we'll continue the party at our house. I kicked my wife under the table. <laughs> Except I missed her and kicked Kim. <laughs> And Kim looked at me and said, you don't want us coming over, do you? I was like, oh, my goodness. Well, that somehow coincided not too long after that with something I was preaching on about hospitality. And it led to the learning of a deep lesson in my own heart and life. I haven't perfectly learned it, please, but I am definitely learning it. And that is simply this. Your ability to be hospitable does not have to do with the size of your home. It has to do with the size of your heart. The size of your heart is what invites people to the table, people who are different from you, people who are ones that you would not naturally gravitate toward. That's what the early church did. And that's what this symbolizes. Yes, it symbolizes the sacrifice of Jesus, the vertical nature, but Jesus never separates himself from the horizontal nature, how it affects others around us. Now, if you're anything like me, you're sitting there thinking, Randy, you're saying that the world was changed, that our world could be changed in so many ways by this? Come on. It's a thimble full of juice. It's a tiny, unleavened wafer. How can that have power to change the world? It's what it symbolizes. And symbols are powerful. 
Just think of some symbols, some of them dramatically different, some of them eliciting dramatically different responses, but bound together by the power they hold. One person salutes. Another person puts hand over heart. Another person raises a fist into the air. Another takes a knee on a field. And the world erupts because of the power of symbols. This is a symbol of something of great power. Gary Thomas, in Christianity Today, now some years ago, wrote of the visit of then-Vice President George H.W. Bush to the Soviet Union to attend the funeral service for the fallen premier Leonid Brezhnev. Bush saw something at that service that probably many others did not see. It came toward the very end of the service. In fact, it was that moment when they were going to lower the lid of the casket for the last time. The armed guards were there. They, they were already grasping the lid to lower it when the widow of Brezhnev stepped up to the casket and reached into it. Not everybody could see. But what she did was to place her finger on her husband's chest and draw the sign of the cross. Symbol. Gary Thomas, writing of that, says, There, in the citadel of secular atheistic power, the wife of the man who had run it all hoped that her husband was wrong. She hoped that there was another life and that that life was best represented by Jesus who died on the cross and that the same Jesus might yet have mercy on her husband. A symbol. Power. Or ask the late John McCain. In the 2008 presidential primary, a writer from Time magazine asked McCain about his personal journey of faith. And McCain responded by telling a story, an incident of, of what happened in a period of time when he was imprisoned as a prisoner of war in Vietnam. He said there was a period of time when they were tying me up at night, when they tied my hands behind my back and ran the rope up around my neck and down to my knees and yanked my knees up and my head down till my head was crammed between my knees and then they would tie it tight and there they would leave me cast on the floor of that cell all night long. Excruciating pain. One night, a guard slipped in and quietly undid the knot and allowed McCain to stretch out and left him there. Till very early the next morning, before other guards had arrived, he slipped back in and retightened and retied it. He would do this, giving McCain relief. McCain said that Christmas day, he encountered that guard on the grounds of the prison. Obviously not wanting to give any hint of recognition, though they encountered each other, they just stood there silent for a moment. And then McCain said, that guard looking at the ground reached out with his foot and in the dust, drew the sign 
of the cross. And they both stood and looked at that symbol till the guard erased it and they walked away. Don't tell me there's no power in a symbol. We come to a table that symbolizes the fact that God has made us his own in Christ. But because of that, we come to a table that says, now you, you, me, we reach out to create oneness in our world in Christ. And we do it in the simplest of ways. We open our door, put another setting at the table, and say, join us for dinner. So here's my live-out challenge for you. It's very simple. Invite someone to your house this week, to your table. Open up your home, open up your heart, and do this ancient act of trust and intimacy. I love what the late Fred Craddock used to say. He used to say, Tell me who sits at your table, and I'll tell you who you are. So I stood there on an island. What is wrong with you? I put that right in your bread basket. Can't you hold on to anything? Isolated and alone. But I remember one other thing from that day. I remember it because I did it every day. When school ended, I trudged up the street, took a left a couple blocks away, a right one more block away, up over Little Rise, and then down a long road, crossed a busy street, and then up into the home neighborhood and arrived at home. Did a few chores, did a little homework. And then Mom said, Supper time. And she called us all in. Dad said at that end. Mom said at this end. John sat right over there. Lindy sat there. Mary Ellen sat here. And I sat here. And I belonged because I was home. I think Jesus was at that table, too. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to rejoice in the fact that he's made us one with God. And we're going to take seriously the implication to reach out and to become one with others. But you know, Mom did one other thing before we ate. She said, go wash up. So that's what we're going to do. Not just in honor of mom, but in honor of Jesus who left us that example in John 13. We're going to go wash up by that act of humility and service called the foot washing. 
in the educational wings, and I'm going to ask you, if you're a member of this community, keep your eyes open for a new person, a lonely person, a person on that island, and say, may I serve you? Come. And then we'll return to this place, and we'll sit down for supper. You won't want to miss it, because the food is the best, and the music is sublime. So go wash up. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.